Alive and Kicking on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Lots coming up on the show this morning. I hope you're all enjoying this bank holiday weekend. I hope you enjoyed St. Patrick's Day and a happy Mother's Day to all the mamas and caregivers. And if today is a tough day for you, not everyone has their mum around, sending lots of love to you too. Coming up on the show, sleep is one of the pillars of health, but how many of us get the quality we need and what can we do to make that happen? Tom Coleman is a sleep expert and today he'll be talking about how we can go from the edge of burnout to peak performance, all by focusing on getting good quality sleep. And Jenny Hare, a registered nutritionist, and Lisa Hughes, a nutritional therapist, met at college. They were conscious that people can become overwhelmed by the health message, what to eat, what not to eat, and what supplements to take. So they formed the Wellness Collective. They'll join me to talk about how it all works and how everyone is different. There shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all approach. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I'm good. I've had a busy few weeks. So this week I slowed down a little and tried to do things like meet friends for walks rather than just working and family stuff. And it's not easy, but I find when all I'm doing is working, being a mom and going to the gym, when my only conversations with my husband are around kid pickups and match times, then it's all just one energy of go, go, go. I still try to get up ahead of everybody else and take my few moments for myself, but sometimes that's not enough. We all need to be leaning into what brings us joy and being social, whatever that means to you. So I've been trying this week to take my foot off the gas a little and add some of that in too. On Friday, I had some family time with my husband and kids and then I headed off with friends to Annie Max before a midnight show in Vicker Street. Annie Mack is a well-known DJ from Dublin. She headed to London where she made a huge name for herself on Radio 1 and DJing all over the world. She recently left her radio job and has turned her focus to writing. Speaking of Mother's Day, her debut novel, Mother Mother, is incredible. I loved it. I also love her podcast, Changes, and she talks to guests about the big moments in their lives that have shaped who they are. And she's clearly, as I say, embraced change herself. She's also a mum of two and... She was struggling to merge DJing until the early hours of the morning, driving herself home from somewhere across the country and then being up for a soccer match or whatever her sons needed. And she knew there must be other parents or even people who loved music, loved to dance, but didn't want to do the early hours of the morning anymore. So she started before midnight, a tour that begins at seven and then you're home just like Cinderella. So I went to that and I absolutely loved it. Our priorities can change over time and our ability to do without sleep diminishes. So I do love the concept and I absolutely loved the night. And I think it's important that we recognise how we evolve and that it's okay to change your mind on certain things. There's a girl I follow on Instagram and for the last few years she's been sharing her life, her journey to body acceptance and walking away from the nine to five in Ireland to live all over the world in exotic locations with just her laptop running her own business. But she said recently she found herself dissatisfied with that and wanted more change. So she moved closer to home, changed her work setup, and she met someone as now expecting a baby. And she said that some of her followers were upset that her message had changed, which I found fascinating. I mean, this is a woman who's only 30. I think she's more than entitled to change her mind, change her life and go with her gut on something. And I think it should be celebrated. Sometimes we get so stuck in the stories we tell ourselves that we don't allow ourselves to see new possibilities and to evolve. Do you? 
you can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Jenny Hare is a registered nutritionist and Lisa Hughes, a nutritional therapist. They met at college. It sparked a friendship, but also their business, The Wellness Collective. And they join me in studio now. Ladies, you're very welcome. Thanks so much for having Hi. us. Thanks Before for having we us. get into The Wellness Collective, can you explain your job titles a little and what the difference is between a nutritionist and a, a nutritional therapist, what you both do? Yeah, so I studied um, nutritional therapy and um, I graduated in 2016. And I suppose with my um, education, it was all about getting to the root of the issue. So um, we spend a lot of time looking at a very detailed health history and incorporating a lot of nutrition, but lifestyle factors as well in our protocols for our clients. Yeah, it's so funny. There's somebody I, I follow in the nutrition space on Instagram and, you know, she posted something recently that people would be surprised to know that a lot of the time she doesn't talk about food with mm, her clients, absolutely. even though they're there for nutrition advice. Obviously, it gets there in the end, but it's it's about all the other things that are, you know, causing you to fall off the nutrition wagon. A hundred percent. And a client I was speaking to yesterday, she thought that it was dairy and it was um, gluten and it was all of these things where actually she was just eating all her meals on the go. She was eating her lunch in the car, her breakfast standing up and her stomach just literally couldn't physically digest the food. And that was what was causing all of the symptoms. Yeah, it wasn't what she was eating. It was the way she was Absolutely, eating it. Yeah. And there's where your therapy comes in. Yeah. <laughs> and what about you then, Jenny? So I'm actually on a similar route. So I'm actually just finishing up my nutritional therapy. So in the interim, I would have a nutritionist title rather than the nutritional therapist title. But um, I would work in a very similar way, at least in terms of it's a very root cause analysis and looking at diet, lifestyle and supplements as a very holistic, you know, way to kind of manage symptoms or improve your diet, improve your lifestyle. So when did you decide to put your friendship on the line and go into business <laughs> together? When did that first idea spark? Um, I think the thing that we were really seeing was that in our practice, we see the benefit of good quality supplements and the impact that they can have on people's lives. But the caveat there is that they have to be A, very targeted and B, they have to be good quality. There is mm-hmm. such a huge variance in quality on the market with supplements and kind of just ad hoc taking, you know, a kind of very bog standard multinutrient, you're probably not going to get a huge amount of benefit. So we were consistently seeing that there is this kind of lack of understanding as to A, what supplements people should be taking or specifically for a particular health goal, what people should be taking. But then also... um not knowing, okay, well, where do I get these from? Why do I need them? So we were kind of saying everyone won't need to work with us on a one-to-one basis because, you know, it might just be for general well-being. I want to feel that little bit better. They may not need us to go through their entire health history because they don't have a very, you know, pertinent issue that they're facing. But they might just need that extra little bit of help. And it's interesting you talk about the quality of supplements. Is it not a very standardised industry? Can you slap anything on a bottle um, and, and and claim it's doing all of these wonderful things? Well, I suppose it can come down to the form in which these nutrients are um, created and um, form and dosage are really, really important. Like there's so much research out there that shows like very clinical levels of these nutrients and how they're um, consistent intake will have a positive impact. Um, so 
the, the form in which the nutrient is, as well as how is it actually kind of put together in that tablet? Is there a lot of fillers and binders? Like how much energy and stomach acid and nutrients is it going to take for your body to actually break down a specific tablet before you can then go and absorb those nutrients? So the bioavailability of the nutrients, where they are um, derived from and how they're kind of encapsulated will will kind of determine how effective they are. But then it can also determine the price point as well. So you might end up spending a couple of euro more, but at least you know you're actually going to get the benefits of taking that supplement. Yeah, and it's tailor-made to what brought the person to you guys in the first place, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's to, to help sleep, to balance hormones, to reduce stress, yeah. um, to help energy levels. And, you know, there are certain camps who say supplements are a waste. And I suppose w- what we've said there about the way some people, I mean, I'm sure there's people listening now who have bottles of stuff on their bathroom cabinet or, you know, wherever they take them and they don't really know why they're taking them. They saw them on Instagram or a friend said it was great for them. Mm-hmm. And yet everybody's different. And obviously you've both spoken about your love of nutrition and lifestyle change. But you see there is a place for supplementation in people's health journeys. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Like um, when it comes to magnesium, like majority of the population is deficient in magnesium because our soils are depleted in that nutrient and magnesium is used for over 300 processes in the body so having it in a supplement form where um, you know you're getting it into your diet on a on a daily basis is one of the the reasons I think vitamin D if you wanted to yeah like I mean vitamin D I think a lot of research obviously came out off the back of COVID of the benefit of vitamin D, not only for our immunity, but our bone health. It's also incredibly important for our female hormones. But we now have the research that supports that. And, you know, what we see in, in our clinic is that anyone that we would recommend gets a, a vitamin D test, a lot of Irish people, the results come back and they're on the floor. They're like 11 out of the 150. So as soon as they bring that level up, they're feeling a lot better. They're having potentially less allergies because vitamin D has a, a key role in the immune system and modulating how our body responds to certain allergens. But there absolutely is a, a, a point at which, you know, too many supplements is not what you need. And there are, I, I agree with some of the arguments in terms of oh like you're just your body's just going to process that and you're going to pee them out like it's something that we always see as well in our with our clients like you know why is my pee luminous after I'm taking this like vitamin b or this magnesium blend and it's because like yeah your body might have needed maybe half the amount of b vitamins in that and b vitamins are water soluble so you'll just excrete what you don't need but I think the proof is really in the pudding and how much better people feel on certain products when they are tailored to what they specifically need. So I think that's where the kind of nutrition, there's always a grey area. It's just not black and white. People are, as humans, are so complex. And what works for you, Claire, isn't going to work for me. So it's it's taking that into consideration. And that's where the passion and the personalised approach to nutrition and supplementation really comes from for your wellness collective. Well, your passion is clear, girls. Have you enjoyed <laughs> being in business together so far? Yeah, we, we have. have. Absolutely. It's only the start. Yeah. Where we, have, we have big plans. We have big plans and we're, we're very excited for this year and all that's to come. Yeah. Great. Well, I've no doubt you'll soar. I look forward to, to watching along the way. For more information, people can go to yourwellnesscollective.ie. Jenny Hare and Lisa Hughes, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so us. much. 
Alive and Kicking on News Talk. Now, research on more than 13,000 people in Ireland shows that almost 80% are sleep deprived and 62% of adults around the world say they don't sleep as well as they'd like. Tom Coleman is Ireland's leading sleep expert and he joins me in studio now. Tom, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, Claire. Thanks for having me. So what does that mean, sleep deprived? We associate it with people with young babies and that's certainly true, but... How should we feel? Like, what does it feel like to be getting enough sleep? How should we feel when we wake up in the morning and throughout the day? It's a good question. I, I, I think in 10 years of working with people, there are very, very few, firstly, who uh, wake up in the morning and feel full of energy and refreshed. OK, so I always ask people, not that, I ask them, how do you feel after 30 minutes, after half an hour? Because then that's that's a better indication. Because it does take a little while to wake the systems up from sleep. And even the nature of sleep is you will get uh, a lot more deep sleep earlier in the night. And slowly, the deeper sleep stages out in each cycle to get less and less to to get you ready to wake up. Um, so the symptoms are obviously daytime sleepiness, fatigue, low energy levels. Um, and just not feeling cognitively, mentally sharp. Um, it, it, it can impact people in different ways, but if you just feel lethargic, drained, you feel like you could sleep during the day, you're not getting enough sleep. So yeah, and that's interesting, isn't it? I always find I'm better if I've been allowed to wake up myself rather mm. than the alarm come in and, and disturb yeah. sleep. And I think people need to be mm. aware that we have this negative bias in our brain that mm. nine times out of ten we are going to think oh god no yeah. that that's just how we're hardwired yeah. that we'd love to stay under the duvet but often once you're up and pottering around the kitchen and you've the coffee on and yeah. the radio going yeah you, you, that's when you start to feel at your best right and I think you've hit something really important here is how people wake up and because of modern conveniences and, and society and how we live now like a lot of people will hit the snooze button five, six, seven times and drag themselves out of bed and think, oh no, drag themselves out of bed, not feel fantastic and go downstairs and start pouring coffee into themselves to feel awake or grab their phones first thing, right? We're not sending the right signals. And that's a huge thing for me and what I've learned over 10 years, the body, the mind and and the signaling systems, the nervous system, right? So a better way is... Get up. I give people one go on the snooze button, right? Get up and get bright light because we have receptors in our in our retina, in our eye, specifically for morning light. And that will activate us. It's the fastest way to clear grogginess, adenosine floating around in your system. That's what you're feeling when you're feeling groggy and tired. It's, it's the adenosine. The fastest way to do that is natural light. And you will feel much more awake and it will activate, it will really um, strengthen the cortisol response in the morning. We get a pulse of cortisol and that's to get you into action for the day. But if we're not getting that, then we're not feeling it. We're not feeling it. it take, it's taking us much longer. So how we wake up is is really important. Yeah. And I mean, look, often I'll open the curtains and then lie there for another mm. five minutes. You don't have to be a martyr to the cause and get up and yeah. do 20 push-ups or anything. No, you know, no, you can ease not. yourself in, but allow yeah. the light to help you. And people will notice yeah. that even now as the mornings are getting brighter, our energy levels yeah. are going up. And that's yeah. that's proof. It's harder to get out of bed on a dark, mm. wintry morning than it is on a summer's day when the sun is already beaming through at, yeah. at, at 6 and 7 a.m. We're very sensitive to light. 
can we talk about the mechanics of sleep then sure. and, and why it's so important? What's mm. happening in the body when we sleep? So much is happening in the body and the brain. Um, from a physical perspective, there's so much restoration and repair. The vast majority of that is happening during sleep and during the first half of the night, primarily in deep sleep, right? So your muscle tissue repair, that's happening. Uh, your immune system is restocking with different types of immune cells, like mast cells and T cells and natural killer cells. All these are being restocked. Inflammation is mediated. And if we look at chronic disease, it's systemic inflammation, right? So if you're not getting enough sleep, then you you will be you will be suffering for, you will be inflamed, right? Um, if we look at your endocrine system, your hormones, all of that, that's being balanced at night. And if you're, if you're sleep deprived, your ghrelin levels will be up. You'll be getting cravings. Your estrogen or testosterone or whatever will drop down. It will be out of sync. Okay. Um, that's just some of the, the physical stuff. From a psychological standpoint, really hugely important. Your brain cleans itself every night. Lymphatic drainage, it flushes out a buildup of plaque and toxins. And we're talking about long-term health here. This is crucial. Memory is embedded. Neuroplasticity, learning, that is wired in at night. Um, I mean... How we view the world, our perception of life is literally different if we've had a poor night's sleep. You know, your brain um, disassociates stress. You know the way they say sleep on it. You know, we're starting to understand exactly what's happening. So some areas of your brain are more active while you're sleeping than when you're awake, which is incredible. And sleep gets a bad rap, doesn't it? We look at it as something really boring and a waste of our time. But when you describe it yeah. in that way, it's insane that we wouldn't want to do it for at least eight hours. Is is that the number? Where did that come Most, from? We, we mentioned earlier waking up. When we look at how sleep works, we sleep in cycles of 90 minutes. Okay, so five 90 minute cycles equals seven and a half hours. And that is why they say seven to eight hours. Now, sleep is personal because uh, we inherit clock genes from our, our parents, about nine different genes that may govern things like your chronotype, your preferences with are you an early bird or a night owl. So that's hugely um, important that we that those cycles are looked at when we're planning out our sleep and our waking times. And the way we live our lives the way we've set up the five-day working week, mm. the two-day weekend, in general, the the, mm. the nine to five. Yeah. Is that helpful to our sleep patterns? All of our physiology is set up. We are diurnal creatures. We're active during daylight hours. So we get the pulse of cortisol to get up, get calories, procreate, build shelter, survive, right? And all of that is should be done in the first half of the day. So if we look at the 16-hour day, the first half is kind of dedicated to seeking and behaviours that will promote uh, the longevity of the species, really, right? And the second half of the day should be about kind of winding down. If you look at primates, if you look at every other diurnal creature, that's what it's about. So if we look at the 9-to-5 day, yes, lean into the day. And the other interesting thing about how the brain works is the 90-minute cycle of sleep is... is um, these, those cycles pr- proliferate in the brain during the day. They're all tra- ultradian cycles. Famous researcher Anders Ericsson found that 
elite athletes and mathematicians and chess grandmasters all trained in bouts of 90 minutes. And then they had a 15-minute cognitive break. So how we work is is really important. You know, the, I, they say move the big rocks first and lean into it. That's what we should be doing earlier on. So lean into your day, take little mini breaks of 10 minutes where you're not using the cognition. The, the issue of today's society is we're super hyper-connected and we're just putting our foot on the accelerator. Like most people I deal with, I talk about the currencies of time and energy and presence. And they're lacking in those because they don't have the resource and they're just pushing and pushing and pushing. So I think, I think there's a better way to live, really. So are we talking, you know, big meetings, big phone calls, creative projects in the morning, a meeting at three o'clock on a Friday, you're not going to get the best out of yourself or others? We're talking the creative stuff uh, later in the day. We're talking the linear stuff earlier in the day. We're talking about the cognitively demanding stuff earlier in the day. Because, I mean, we're, we're much better able to lean into it earlier. Uh, so we're essentially... We're wired that way. We're better able to deal with stress earlier. I have a four-year-old and I can attest to that because <laughs> by the end of the day, I'm pleading with him, please. <laughs> uh, right, so um, work with our physiology. There's no organism on earth that doesn't work in pulses. So we should pulse hard and then retract a little and pulse hard and retract. And that is, a f- you know, that will um, increase your productivity. You will become more efficient. You will be less likely to burn out. And then start thinking about that wind down then once the evening comes in. And you mentioned your son there. What about those with children, those yeah. who work nights, shift? Yeah. Are they doomed? It's, it's, there's a lot of research. It's, it's a tough one because our circadian rhythm, our body clock, doesn't just govern our sleep-wake cycles. It governs every aspect of your physiology. Your digestive system has its own... Um, timing mechanism. Every system, in fact, every cell in your body has a clock. Fascinating. So as diurnal creatures, we're designed to to be active during daylight hours. The shift worker must try and transition, especially if it's a rotating pattern, which is exceptionally difficult. And so they're going to suffer from sleep deprivation. They're going to have wake episodes. Um, So they have to be especially careful and they have to try and utilise all of the physical things that will influence their sleep and their biology, like light exposure, exercise, good quality food, naps, learning how to naps. You asked me something earlier. There's a, there's a, there's a cultural bias towards sleep in Ireland. Uh, and I know this because I was involved in research in 2018. And um, that was one of the findings. I mean, I'm from the west of Ireland, right? And, and one of the, the first two things that were said about any person was how hard they worked and what time they got up in the morning. It's a badge of honour, you know. Um, if we had a, a two-hour break and I said, I'm going to hit the gym, I mean, I'd be admired for that. But if I said, I'm going to have a little sleep, <laughs> you know, maybe not so much, but that's probably, you know, at least, if not more beneficial for my health, right? So I think we need to change our attitude towards sleep um, and the huge benefits of it for health and productivity. And when you think about our health system and the pressure that mm. people are under, the long working hours of a a, yeah. a doctor or a nurse in an A&E hospital to be working 36 hours without yeah. a break, the message that that sends out about the importance we put on that with health mm. and the lack of value we put on these people, yeah. 
is crazy. And look, I mean, most of what I've learned, I've, I've learned mm. from watching George Clooney and Eeyore, but they're mm. kind of falling asleep yeah. in staff rooms. I mean, we're, we're not putting aside yeah. sleep pods for workers. Is that yeah. something we should be doing? Oh, absolutely. Russell Foster from Oxford in his latest book said that, that junior doctors were 20 times more likely to be in a car accident. Or, I mean, we, I was in the rotunda yesterday speaking to all of the medical staff, all of the doctors, all the about the importance of sleep. And I think I think the HSE have to start delivering training to their all of their medical frontline staff, all of their nurses, all of their doctors, all of their ambulance drivers. You know, we, we, there are well-documented documented incidences of nurses driving home from a night shift and, and being in car accidents. And tragically, we've lost too many nurses in, in the last number of years. And I've personally known one of those. Um, and driver fatigue is a huge issue there, huge issue. And it's something I think that the RSA should, should they're, they're a fantastic organisation, the RSA. They have um, they know the tiredness kills mental fatigue and everything else. But for the shift worker who's done 12 hours, they cannot or they won't stop, sip and sleep because they won't drink caffeine because they have to try and go home. So for the shift worker, I mean, their, their health is at a higher risk um, they they need more support. They they need more help and assistance in in all of the lifestyle uh, changes that they can make and all of the protective mechanisms that they can put in place to help them. And it's so interesting. I, I've been there. I've worked breakfast TV. I've worked yeah. breakfast radio. And you know there were times where I did pull in for fifteen minutes. Yeah. But really, what I needed was a solid yeah. two to four <laughs> hours. It yeah. didn't really impact. And I still had a toddler that needed picking up yeah. at the childminders. Um, so this is kind of what you're up against. Mm. And you're really trying to change the conversation and the way we view sleep and how important it is. So it's it's great that you're at the forefront of that. Yeah. Before we take a break, I want to ask you one more question mm. because unfortunately the aesthetic is what really hits home with people. I mean, you yeah. said we're removing plaque from our brain. People mm. should care about that. They won't yeah. care as much as they will about body composition and yeah. sleep. Talk about that and, and, and cortisol and if we're not getting sure. enough sleep, what that will mean for our overall body. Yeah, so um, it's, you know, people ask me, does it impact this? It impacts simply everything. It's as simple as that. Um, so, you know, we have our highest cortisol levels between 9 and 12 and then it starts to taper off and it tapers off towards the evening. So cortisol in the body will change how energy is used. Um, If we are sleep deprived, our cortisol levels will be elevated. And so how we deal with energy then is different and we're more likely to um, store energy as fat, especially around the abdomen. And that's where we really don't want it because it has access to our bloodstream. And if we're sleep deprived as well, inflammatory cytokines will be higher, which means our arterial health is compromised and we've more um, fat floating around in the system. So that's that's just a recipe for disaster. So we're going to store more fat and we're probably going to have less energy. Um, So, yeah, it it impacts metabolism. It impacts um, body composition. um, It impacts uh, cardiac health. So you know, really, like you said, we, we have to start really prioritising this and making sure that we are getting off our devices and disconnecting and winding down and that we're not dragging stuff uh, into the night and our sleep. It, it's one of the first things that's sacrificed in our life, but it will certainly impact. And then the next day, the knock-on effect is 
you're tired, your food choices will change. Your body will ask you for sugar. Your body will ask you for high fat food because the low energy, you feel lethargic due to the high cortisol from the day before and likely you may be drinking coffee to feel awake as well or other caffeinated products. So it tends to spiral out of control then, you know, Um, and the ghrelin levels will be up. The hunger hormone will be up because you're sleep deprived, we know. So the ghrelin is up. That means the body will be craving foods. What type of foods? High fat, high sugar foods. And what's happening to that energy then is also uh, detrimental. So there's a huge amount of stuff going on. I'd like to get into your story yeah. a little bit, Tom, because I think it's really interesting because like many people, you kind of saw health and wellness starting with fitness and that yeah. was where you were at. <gasps> and once you discovered sleep, you said, scrap that before you even go to the gym, <laughs> get yourself a solid night's sleep. Yeah, well, my story is I was inspired by my father, to be honest. Um, I was always fascinated with how things worked and health. And I studied health science and physiology. So that gave me a really good background into the you know the science of health. And why your father was he a particular My father man? You know, he was he was an exceptional man um and then he died while I was in college. And he died from preventable. You know, he had he had risk factors but it was preventable and you know I I I really wanted to sort of it didn't have to be that way but look that's life right? But I want to share, like, I want to share, I'm a passionate health advocate. I want to share information with people that is evidence-based science that will help them transform their energy levels and their life and their vitality and, and you know, their family. So that's, that's what it's about for me. So I got into health science, I qualified, I have a degree in public health as well. And I, I was fascinated with, in nutri- with nutrition. So I started in nutrition and I worked with various groups and then I got to work with elite athletes. And I became obsessed with um, what is the biggest impact on recovery. And that was my obsession. And then sleep came back very surprisingly to me as the answer. And then I worked with technology, which was designed by US Special Forces for their fighter pilots, which measured mental fatigue and sleep. So I worked with that. And for the past 10 years, I've kind of worked in the area of sleep. But this is what I've discovered. (laughs) It's dawned on me this year, really, that I'm not a sleep coach. <laughs> um, I've come full circle because um, I, I don't go into people's bedrooms at night while they're sleeping and go, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Let's get more REM sleep. Come on. Right. So w- w- when people come to me for help, I look at every single thing they're doing from the moment they wake up to the moment they, fo- they fall asleep. And, you know, I have a background in physiology and I've worked for years in nutrition as well. And um, as someone who talks to people about their sleep, I've become a counsellor, therapist, (laughs) to some degree, anxiety. The same systems that control sleep control stress. And so through my physiology background and understanding the nervous system, um, I've had to teach people, you know, how to modulate or switch between Uh, being alert and ready, fight or flight, you know, uh, exercise or whatever, uh, to switching off, rest and digest. So all of these different little areas, because there are about 20 different tools, 20 different things we can can just uh, manipulate in our day that will profoundly impact our sleep. Um, The sleep happens. We get in the way. We overstimulate the nervous system. We don't get 
we're not connected to nature, to light. We're not physically active enough. So when we start changing all these things, I mean, I say fix your sleep, fix your life, right? But it's really kind of the other way. You you start doing things, you start aligning things, you start working at the right time, you start doing the pulses, you start getting light exposure, uh, reducing the caffeine, looking at all of these stresses. It's huge, anxiety, it's huge. The racing mind. People have people have lost control, really. They, they're so overstimulated that they cannot switch off at night. And so then it, that's another area. So all of these areas we look at, and then in most cases, because there are people out there with medical sleep issues, and that's different, and they need correct diagnosis and treatment. Um, and I don't, it's outside my remit. Um, but when we look after all the other things, in most cases, the sleep then happens. Sleep is like a barometer to see how well we're dealing with life. That's why doctors ask you, tell me about your sleep. But people run in and go, I want to fix the sleep. And it's like they're, they're lowering the temperature of the barometer in the sauna instead of dealing with all the things that's causing the heat. So that's, that's kind of what I do with people. I've kind of come full circle nearly now in terms of my work over the last 10 years and everything else. Um, but to watch people transform to watch them get what I call sleep confidence, because they've no sleep confidence, most people, um, they have sleep anxiety, but to watch how it transforms their life and they get the energy back and they, they're more efficient and they get things done and they're more, it, it's just absolutely amazing and it does literally impact every area, every aspect of your, your life and your health and your well-being. But it's that real holistic view of health, which is, good news and, and bad news in a way because there's mm. lots of little tweaks to be done along the way. It's quite a slow process with one step at a time. Mm. It takes yeah. a lot of self-inventory, a lot of self-awareness, Yeah, which in the busy rat race where you're mostly just running on your hamster wheel and trying to cope is easier said than done, but it is Correct. possible. Correct. And here's the, here's the thing, right? You ask anybody, what do you have to do to be healthier? We know, don't we? I mean, we all know, right? We have to exercise more, we have to eat less, we have to, you know, cut out smoking and alcohol, whatever. We, we, we kind of know, but we don't know how. We don't know how. And that's kind of like, you're, you're kind of asking people to, uh, it's, it's like someone flying a propeller airplane to turn into a fighter jet while still flying. It's tough. And that's kind of where I come in. And that's where I kind of continue to research to this day, like world's leading experts on longevity, on sleep, on nutrition, on exercise. And here, to, to come up with simple protocols that require the least amount of time and the least amount of effort but will give you the greatest return. Like the light exposure for 10 minutes in the morning, in the, in the, um, at lunchtime and in the evening. Um, using cold therapy, using saunas, eating the right foods at the right time. And I try and introduce these simple, small changes and layer solution upon solution. Because if you, if you fix these things and the sleep happens, you will transform all of your health, not just your sleep. You will be a much, much healthier person. And something that I think is missing often from the health and, and wellness discussion, which I'm very passionate about putting out there, is coming from a place of, of self-compassion and love. Because like mm. you said, people know it, but mm. it all sounds really mm. quite hard and quite restrictive and quite punishing and that you have to be almost yeah. mean to yourself. Like it sounded like you mm. were removing all the fun there. <laughs> stop this, stop that, stop the other thing. But actually you're not. When you drill down into it, you're talking about... No. 
you know, opening the curtains in the morning and lying there for five minutes. You're talking about maybe introducing one home cooked meal. You're talking about maybe getting out for one walk in the week and then seeing how that impacts. And I think people underestimate how important joy and connection is. So having fun with your friends, having fun with your family, having fun with food, everything is so hard at the moment. So look at, look at like, I've done a lot of work in the area of burnout. It's on the rise, right? Especially in the corporate sector. And according to the research, the fastest way to pull someone back who is burnt out, the fastest way is social connection. is connecting with another human and play, the power of play. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that just the best thing ever? Fantastic. And we know that like, there's, there's a lot of science I can quote it. So Susan Pinker from Harvard, she went to Sardinia to find out why there's more people who've lived to 100 than any place else on earth. Number one and two on the list were relationships uh, and social connection. Yeah. And none of the people in Sardinia who are living to that level are doing CrossFit no, six times exactly. a week. And that's not to demonise CrossFit yeah. at all. Mm. Weight training is very important, particularly if it if it lights you up. But mm. they're doing simple wood chopping or simple checking on the goats Movement. in the top field. It's very small movement and they're exactly. meeting in the evening and they're having a glass of wine with mm. their neighbours and friends. And that's a huge part of what lights them up. Yes. And I think... I think the other thing that is hugely important today to say is we're being bombarded and we have to differentiate. We have to be very careful where we're getting our health messages from, you know, and there are Instagram influencers out there with huge audiences, but with no qualifications. And they talk about health or they talk about products or they talk about, I think that's just a minefield for people. Because people that come to me are desperate for help with sleep. People that want to lose weight are desperate for help. But it's about credible information and it's about being, you know, qualified to give that information. And I think that's something that is is massively important in today's society because we have access. We have yeah. access. We're, and we're living in that digitally obsessed escape-based culture, you know, where it looks good, oh, it looks great. Yeah, I want that. And everybody's different just because it's working for somebody and who knows what's really behind those Instagram pictures. Yeah. But What's working for one might not work for another. We're all individual. There isn't yeah, a one size exactly. fits it's, all and you need yeah, it's, expert advice. Yeah, it's, Can we get into then your sleep mm-hmm. hygiene tips? Because I want sure, people to have some yeah. takeaways. So here, here, here's, your, here's, here's your sleep hygiene. Here is your routine. What's the routine? People think of, oh, about an hour before bed. No, your sleep routine starts from the moment you wake up. So you get that light exposure because that light exposure anchors your sleep. It sets a timer for melatonin and it clears the grogginess. So it, it sets you up, but it has... It has effects later in the day. Actually, as much light exposure as you can get throughout the day because it will increase your serotonin levels and you you make melatonin from serotonin, right? So lots of light. Delay your first coffee, right? Don't, for how long? For uh, oh, the, the, the desperation in that. <laughs> I feel the same. I feel the same, Claire. Oh my God, for how long? What? Um, yes, uh, because the arc of coffee. So uh, for about an hour. Um, because you will clear the adenosine and you won't get the crash as severely because, um, you know, the, the caffeine molecule blocks the, the grogginess. Um, so delay your first, first coffee. Um, take many breaks uh, where you're kind of just conscious of your breathing or just take a little five or ten minute break a few times throughout the day. Be physically active um, as much as you can. So um, even if you can't get... You know, the, the, the half an hour, the hour to go to the gym, you can do lots in five minutes at home. Uh, you can go for a 10 minute walk. It, a 10 minute walk reduces stress and anxiety. It reduces activity in the threat detection center of your brain. 
Um, so f- physical activity. Um, if in terms of food, if you really want to sort of um, tilt it towards sleep, then eat your carb, your main carbohydrate-based meal, i.e., your pasta, your rice, or your potatoes in the evening at five or six, because the tryptophan will help uh, with melatonin production as well. Certain foods contain melatonin that can help. Um, then you need to, I suppose, start thinking about winding down from about 6pm, right? Exercise, it's a great time to exercise in the evening time, 5, five o'clock, because your core body temperature is at its peak. But after that, wind down, okay? Mental, cognitive, emotional. Don't arrive in bed wired and tired. So start thinking, calm everything down, set your bedroom up a couple of hours before sleep, have a warm shower. It causes a rebound cooling effect in the body. So that helps with sleep. Like the body needs to cool by one to two degrees to achieve sleep. So that's important. Your bedroom environment is important. Get your eye mask. Move away from the tech and the connectedness uh, about uh, 90 minutes before sleep. Okay. And then have a routine for when you do go to bed. Uh Maybe that's your eye mask or your earplugs or your, you know, you have your sleepy tea. Um, maybe you play some music. It's, it's fine. People have their phones in the bedroom, but it's what you're doing with it. So have the music, have the relaxing sounds, whatever that may be, but do a conscious relaxation, like a body scan. And what I mean by that is just work your way through your body and let go of tension and come back to the breath because that's how we influence our nervous system, through our breathing. Okay, so really, really important because if you go to bed tired and stressed, you will fall asleep from exhaustion, but you will wake up three or four o'clock in the morning. It's important to have a 15 minute routine or 20 minute routine when going to bed. If people have anxiety, Dr. Paul Kosick, fantastic guy. He he, he used this technique with over 300,000 people, right? Uh, 10 to 15 minutes of self-reflection journaling and ask yourself this question what did I do today that was good for me because the compassion we need to have starts with ourselves and the narrative people give themselves a hard time for not I, you know I didn't get this I didn't sleep is about letting go of that sleep is about letting go of everything I didn't get done should have done need to do tomorrow my hopes my dreams my fear so this journaling is massively important and asking yourself that question what did I do today that was good that, I, that was good for me and that reduces anxiety and then give your mind cognitive chewing gum because you're hardwired to worry you're hard, I mean think about it we're humans we look into the future and predict danger that's worrying and that served us as an evolutionary advantage so if you don't give your mind something to do it will start doing an analysis of your relationship financial situation <laughs> yeah and I'm sure right. it irritates people to hear us to constantly go back to caveman times but that served us when we were literally living in a cave with a big open front on us and God knows what could pass at any time now yes. we're in safe comfortable houses with the alarm on and the front door locked yeah. we don't need to panic necessarily about what's out there and that's not to minimise what some people are going through but just know that that hard wire is there so let it go and wind down yeah. and then lastly what of the insomniacs who have tried the rituals the routine mm. the lavender spray the chamomile who are just saying I've tried everything yeah. I, I can't do it you say there are people who may need medical intervention and help yeah absolutely I mean I've I've worked with people um, where I've I've referred them on so we want to try and eliminate 
everything. What tends to happen with people is people will try, people want products, they want something to just switch me off or whatever, you know. What's the magic pill um, I can take? And then I mean, sleeping pills are huge, aren't they? Yeah, and there's been an explosion in products. Now, there are certain ones that do help with, with uh, sleep onset and sleep maintenance. So for some people, you know, they can fall asleep, fine, they keep waking up. You know, and it will depend on your life. Perimenopausal and menopausal women experience great difficulty with this as well. But um, I layer solutions, keep it simple, build from the ground up, introduce one new habit a week. And they're evidence-based solutions and protocols that I work with people over, over the course of 10 or uh, 12 weeks. And it's interesting, I saw on your site you say you work with people... Your, the techniques you teach are based on biology rather mm. than psychology, so they work whether they believe it or not. Exactly, exactly. And that's that's like the whole, the breath work for, you know, calming down because we have the inbuilt calm response. We all know the stress response. We It's inbuilt. After children cry, they go... <gasps> yeah. Double inhale through the nose, long, slow exhale. That's called the psychological sigh. It's the fastest way to calm down scientifically. And it works whether you believe it or not because... When I when I first came on the radio, I, I used to be so nervous. Well, I used to do this technique and I would, and my mind would be saying, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. But it works every time. Because when has calm down ever worked? Or telling your partner to calm down. Or being told to calm <laughs> right? down. No, so, never. No, yeah, never. They're evidence-based tools because I am a scientist. I'm a health scientist. And that's that's what I, I want. Um, repeatability. Tom, it's been incredible. I've been hanging on your every word you sing from the hymn sheet with more expertise in this area than I, but I absolutely love your message. It's been incredible to to talk to you. If people want to find out more information, you can go to tomcoleman.ie. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to all of my guests, to my producer Aoife Breen and to Hugo De Silver Scott, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and kicking on News Talk.